Hello, and welcome to this special Christmas episode of The Mastering Show. Uh, We're doing something a bit different this time. This is what I would like to call the Christmas stocking episode. I've got one, two, three, four, five or six guests with me, um, as you can see if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, And just in case anybody doesn't know about the tradition of the Christmas stocking, there's one hanging up there. It's what my boys put out on Christmas Eve and hope that Father Christmas brings them all kinds of stuff. And that stuff is liable to be uh, small, cheap and trivial, which is exactly what we're going to give you in this show. Um, So I thought we'll start off just by all of my guests quickly introducing themselves. So let's go left to right as I can see it here. Uh, Chris, say hello. Hey, hello, people. Um, I'm Chris from uh, Quebec, Canada. Um, I run the channel, uh, YouTube channel Mixdown Online, and I'm a good friend of uh, Ian and Lidge here, so everybody else is new to me, so nice to meet you guys. Great. Uh, then Ian, say hello. Uh, I'm also Ian, Ian Stewart. I'm a mastering and mixing engineer from Massachusetts uh, and sometimes online educator when I find time. Very cool. Uh, Then we have John, who is my co-host on the show. Everybody knows John. Hi, John. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am John Tidy. I am in Vancouver, BC. I I do all sorts of audio recording, mixing, production sorts of work, as well as uh, education on the Reaper blog at reaperblog.net. Very cool. Then we have Lidge. Howdy, y'all. This is Lidge Shaw, speaking of small... Cheap and in, insignificant. <laughs> my my Your studio beard is not insignificant, that I'm here my is the Toy Box Studio in East Nashville, Tennessee, and my podcast is recording studio rock stars. And happy holidays to you all! Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to have you here, uh, Mike. You're up next. Hey, podcast land, uh, Mike Hillier, I'm mastering engineer from London, and a writer for Music Tech Magazine and uh, yes. other things. Music Tech Magazine and ProSound News occasionally, um, and other places online, probably. And finally, Sigurdor. Hello. Good evening from Denmark. I'm Sigurdor Gummelsson, and I'm Icelandic, so that's my excuse. Um, I'm a mastering engineer, and I also do mixes, so there's that. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for being with us uh, on on the show. Um, and yeah, the this episode is just going to be lighthearted, hopefully fun to listen to. So if you're listening to this and you want some the uh, hardcore nerdy stuff, I'm sure there will be some of that, but you might want to skip to another episode. But um, so, yeah, we've all got a, a little something to share, a little gift in the Christmas stocking of this episode. Lidge, uh, why don't you start? I think you're going to share a song with us. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for asking. By the way, I forgot to introduce uh, my buddy Teletubby here. I actually don't know his name or her name, but she's here with us too. See, I should um, know, but I'm afraid I don't. Is it, it was Teletubbies a British show? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Was it? I thought it was like Japanese or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, you, you would think so by looking at it, um, but definitely British. I like the beginning where everything kind of goes swirling up into the rainbows. I, I don't know how old you were when it first came out, but I was a student and um, it was kind of the thing to watch in the middle of the night when you had imbibed various um that's, that's when i like to watch it yeah so i hear lidge i've just looked it up for you your teletubby is called poe oh this is poe 
Look, and yeah. there's an O, and it's kind of a P. Yeah. And an O, like that. So that makes sense. Hi, Poe. And, we'll and the Christmas we'll relevance right is... Poe is not my Christmas present, though. That's not my stocking stuffer. My stocking stuffer, um, I'm not sure. Can I share this over the podcast somewhere, or can it, can, can it get put in the link below or something like that? Oh, we'll definitely put all the links to all the stuff we're going to talk about on the, the show notes at themasteringshow.com. I'm going to send it over in the, uh, the message to you guys right now. And it is a song that I found on something that I'm really interested in right now. I'm following this new site called musiccoin.org. And it is, it's pretty cool. It has to do with this world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology and it's a new music streaming site where um, the reason I think it's important to all of you is that, you know, for all making music, it's kind of nice to know that there are new things coming along that pay something like 2,000 times more than what Spotify pays for a streaming listen of one of your songs. So um, anyway, I went over and I looked for a Christmas song, and there's a, there's a hilarious one here by this guy, uh, Tom Balistreri. And it's called Putting on the Pounds for Christmas. But it, what really makes it good is that he spelled his title wrong in the, when he posted it. It says, Putting on the Pawns for Christmas. <laughs> so I am sending you that, that link. Um, I guess, I don't know that I can play it over this. Um, I, don't I don't think, think you, can. Play, you can. But you can share I'll put YouTube it in the links. link below, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And then I thought I would also wish you a Merry Christmas this way. Ah. It's a little, uh... Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Hey! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Merry Christmas, y'all. That's my stocking stuffer for you, and I'm sticking to it. That's fantastic. And for, for any of the Brits watching, it's kind of hilarious that it's a stocking stuffer somehow. Um, but I, well, let's, we'll just oh, leave you that guys to don't one call. side. <laughs> okay, all right. I get it. That's fantastic. Thank you, Lidge. I, I didn't realize you were going to play us a song. And um, Getting back on topic slightly, if anybody ever wonders why I always moan about streaming audio quality, um, the sound on that clip uh, was a perfect example. <laughs> that could have actually just been me, quite honestly. No, no, no. <laughs> there was definitely... Um, it was definitely... I really the enjoyed the underwater section of that song. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Fantastic. Okay, so John, you're up next. You're going to talk about the VCV rack. Yeah. And I'll have to bring out my laptop for this, um, seeing as can't do screen sharing at the same time as a Hangout. Mm. So VCV Rack. You can, actually. Well, I can't. Okay. So VCV Rack is a free open source modular synth. And it comes with, I don't know, a dozen modules. There are uh, third-party modules available for free and for purchase. And it's a fantastic learning tool and a great free way to get into the world of modular synths. Uh, it's super addictive, so much fun. Uh, a massive CPU hog. So uh, I got a video coming up on the Reaper blog 
where I'm playing around with it, doing kind of a quick intro, and my uh, my MacBook sounds like a jet engine all the way through it, totally ruining my voiceover, which is great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, check that out at vcvrack.com. Very cool. Is that um, is that a standalone app or is that a plugin? For now, it's a standalone app, and it runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Uh, but they're doing a bridge, which I guess is sort of like a a rewire type thing, so it'll integrate with any DAW. And then a plugin version is coming. And it's still in beta. It's it's uh, version zero point five point one came out today, and they added the package manager, so it's a lot easier to manage your third party uh, plugins for it. So really cool thing. So brief tangent. I went to I did uh, physics and music at university, and um, the two courses didn't interact at all, but they did teach us acoustics on the side as part of the physics course because the guy who ran my course was a, a musician and an acoustics nut. He had a Synthi 1000, which is the, the, the really big daddy of the VCS3, which was that the kind of the, the modular synth that Pink Floyd used on yeah. Dark Side of the Moon and stuff. Um, so this thing was literally about 10 feet wide and 6 feet tall and was just kind of, you know, just... Uh, any kind of analog synth fetishist's wet dream. I mean, it was amazing. But the thing I always have with modular synths is you, this is amazing thing sitting there and you kind of, you go, okay, I'll plug this in here and I'll plug this in here and it kind of goes, and then it takes you about half an hour to make it do anything sexy. So so do they have like a ton of presets that enable you to get up and running really quickly or are they going to do that? Or what's I, the- I think because it's so new, they have a quick start tutorial and that's about it. Where they tell you like how to make the connections, and they're like, put an oscillator into a, a filter, and then put it into a VCA, and then put it connected to the output, and now have fun. Um, but you can definitely spend half an hour and not get any sound out of it. But once you kind of like make the connection and get sound out for the first time, you're like, you're you're hooked. So then you and then you've the first time you connect, um, I don't know, like connect something to the CV inputs in like the wrong way or something and it makes a really unexpected sound then you're like you're even deeper more committed to this thing and and it's a lot of fun the amazing thing about it is is uh you can save presets which you can't do with a modular synth so you can you can instantly recall any of the patches i was actually gonna play one and i totally forgot do that do that so does it show the wires and all that kind of cool yeah it shows the wires you should definitely share the patch with with the show notes or something. Cool. So that's uh, yeah, that's just a simple one. It even sounds cool when you're like moving it around the microphone. <laughs> yeah, added filter modulation effect. So yeah, so that's all you know. That's all built with uh, I think three oscillators, one sequencer. Um, and all the just the included built-in uh, core modules. Yeah, I, I think synthesis, modular synthesis, is so valuable for what we do as as you know studio people because it really teaches you how stuff, what's happening, and it, it helps you understand sound and you know everything from understanding a sound source to a filter to a uh, you know an envelope filter to noise generation to like you know FM synthesis. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a great way to to really learn the studio, I think. So I'm now going to show something to the camera that you guys on the podcast won't be able to hear. This is my Korg. Um, it's, it fits in the palm of my hand. Let me see if I can make it make some noise. 
Um, the monotron delay. I have one of those too. Uh, I feel like I should go get a synth now. (laughs) It's not. Oh, maybe it's running the batteries. (laughs) Oh, that's disappointing. (laughs) I also have one. You have one of these, Ian? I've got that one. I don't have one of those. Hey, we've all got them. These are really cute. cute. They're real Korg synth, uh, synths. There we go. That's the kind of noise I was trying to get. Yeah, those are great. They're they're like $30, I think. Yeah, yeah. they're awesome. Yeah, they have real, I think, real filters is the main thing, but it's a digital oscillator, something like that. Yeah, and I think uh, it's... They, they have external inputs as well. And I haven't, I haven't tried this, but apparently if you plug them into... Um, like if you plug the headphone jack in and and put them through a, a proper speaker, they actually sound really quite seriously fruity. So um, yeah, those would make genuinely good uh, stocking fillers. Um, any of you, uh, anybody li- who's listening to this and is kind of dis- was expecting actual, sorry, stocking stuffers, Lich. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you if you want something for the audio nerd in your life, then uh, one of these could be could be just the, the ticket. Uh, on the synth note here. This is a stylophone. This is what was used on Space Oddity. That's wow. a big one. Yeah. yeah, this is a this is a real real deal. Okay, so we're gonna have to do some screen captures from the video and put them in the show notes for anybody who's listening to this and wants to know what this yeah. this synth that Lidge is holding looks like. It's amazing. It looks like a typewriter size thing. If you Ready, know what is. I'm talking right now. I'm taking over the mic. Screen capture me. I'm talking. I'm taking over the mic. Screen capture me. <laughs> What's it called? Lich. This is the stylophone. uh, Yeah, stylophone 350. Yeah, 350S. Okay. Okay. And in that case, I'm going to have to go on a little tangent. Wow, this stocking really does have a ton of stuff in it. Um, One of my favorite bands is the, uh, I guess, they're kind of a dance band, but it's more electronica, Orbital. Um, And they did a tune called Style, which samples a stylophone which is amazing. So I will share that in the show notes for anybody listening. It's highly recommended to anybody who likes uh, bleepy noises and calls it music. And if you like stylophone music, check out uh, Brett Domino. Because it does a lot of sort of parody songs with with little Casios and stylophones and things like that. John, John, your mic just sounds so freaking good, dude. You just sound like... Oh, really? You sound like God in my head. I think it's his voice. <laughs> It's both. Okay. You're right. We I can't all tell if you're being sarcastic. <laughs> no, no, it really does. It does. No, as producers, you're absolutely right, Sigidor. Of course, it's his voice, not the microphone. You know, the source, you know. It's a CAD M179. With a really nice looking spoffle. Uh, John, can you just do that? Can you demonstrate the fidget spinner thing to for, for people oh, listening? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now that we're recording. Fidget spinner on a fluffy windscreen. On a spot. Everybody should try it. Excellent. Right. Moving on. Uh, Mike, you're going to talk talk to us about the mic that you're using now, right? Yeah. On on the topic of sounding good. Hopefully this sounds good. I've no idea. Um, So, but before that, I thought I'd play a little song for you. Because I've got this wonderful little um, tie, Ah. which everyone listening can't see. But it's a Christmas tie. Let me just tell everybody that it looks as good as it sounds. Yeah, lift it up and we'll screen cap it. Higher up. Okay. (laughs) 
it won't stop for ages now. It... <laughs> well, now I can see the eyes flashing, and you're right, it is slightly yeah, demonic. It's really demonic. And I got this as a 16th birthday present from my auntie, and it still works. <laughs> 20 years later. And, that and, and you have never strangled yourself while... Never strangled myself once and never replaced the battery. Amazing. Have you ever worn it professionally? I've worn it many times. I wear it every single Christmas without fail. Okay, this is the point where I should... Uh, so here's, here's my Christmas T-shirt in case anybody hasn't been able to pick it up yet. Excellent. It's an excellent Christmas T-shirt. I just wanted shirt. everybody to... Is that's that a matching T-shirt I have with... Well, it's a reindeer. Yes, with a very large nose, so I assume it is Rudolph. Yeah. Mike, now tell us about the mic you're so, using. So the microphone I'm using is the Townsend Labs Sphere L22, which is a large diaphragm condenser. But what makes it interesting is it's got stereo outputs... Uh, so it records from both the front and rear capsule simultaneously. And then you put that into your computer and there's a little application, a plugin that comes with it. And you can then model any microphone that you like. So I'm currently modeling a U47. And if I press a few buttons, it will model a C12. And if I press a few more buttons, it'll now be modeling a U67. None of you get to hear this because you're just hearing my built-in mic, but for the listeners at home, this now sounds like a ribbon microphone. That's amazing. We're all going to have to come back and, and listen to the podcast episode um, in order to appreciate that in all its glory. Um, so wait, is, is, is when you say it's stereo, that's one, so it's mono at the front, mono at the back, or you're saying it's two stereo capsules? No, there are two, two mono capsules. So it's uh, a front capsule and a rear capsule, and then obviously two outputs. And when it's modeling, is it doing that in software? Or? The modeling is in software, yes. And as well as changing the mic model, you can also change uh, the amount of proximity effect. You can change the pickup pattern. So you could have uh, a cardioid pickup pattern or an omni pickup pattern or a figure of eight pickup pattern. And because you've already recorded the stereo recording off the microphone, you can change all of this after the fact. Um, so you can put more proximity, less proximity. You can change the angle. So if you accidentally recorded from the side, you could correct that and have it record from the front or sound like it was recorded from the front. Very interesting. What's this brand again? It's Townsend Labs. And how does it sound? I mean, are you impressed with the actual... I mean, it sounds great in theory. Is it is it working well? Uh, it does. I mean, it's it's. I don't have all of those microphones to compare directly to. I've compared it with th four of the models. So I've I've got a fifty-seven. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be at an event where someone compared it with the C eight hundred, and it has a C eight hundred model built in. And then I've compared it with uh, an eighty-seven in the studio as well, and the uh, the forty thirty-eight, the Coles. Um, it. The 87 model sounds remarkably like an 87, so obviously that's the easy one to do. Uh, the 57's pretty close. The ribbon microphone one, I'm not convinced about. And the Sony C800, I don't think it was anywhere close. That's still going to give you some interesting options. I was, yeah, how much does it cost? Because there's a similar, there's, there's the Soundfield microphone, isn't there? Which is a kind of similar idea, but had capsules in a tetrahedron. Um, and in theory allows you to kind of do almost any 3D manipulation you like of it after the fact because you record it in four tracks. Um, so Yeah, those are cool. Well, this is more similar to the, uh, to the um, Slate microphone, right? Slate one does very similar things, yes. 
Have you used that, by the way? No, I haven't. So I'm not going to compare them because I've not tried it. I'm trying to look up the price for you now of this microphone. I tried to listen to the Slate microphone at a... um, It was an event here, like a... um, uh, a vintage King event or something like that. And they had it set up at a booth with a pair of headphones. But when I popped it on, there was so much latency on the app that they were using mm. the DAW. That it was like, you couldn't really tell anything. It's a dreaded latency. This, so this, firstly, you can use it just as a mic. And so when you're recording with it, you don't have to use the app at all. And you can just listen to the direct signal. Um, but they also, there's a UAD version of the, app. So if you've got an Apollo, you can monitor through your Apollo with the UAD DSP handling the latency. Uh, and it's 1500 euros. I just looked it up. Fantastic. Now I've just noticed that Matt has, Matt Boudreau has joined us on the podcast. Matt, how the devil are you? I'm great now. Now, now that I got to hangouts to work, I couldn't get it to work earlier. Yeah, we saw you kind of appear and then disappear, but uh, great, you're, you're here now. So I, I got everybody else to do a quick, uh, like, two-line introdu- introduction. Um, maybe you could do the same thing? Sure. Uh, I'm Matt Boudreaux. I am the host of Working Class Audio, the, a podcast. I'm also a uh, engineer and a dad and, you know, all that. And I'm here now. Very cool. Thanks for joining us. So next up, the next item out of the virtual Christmas stocking that is this podcast episode uh, Chris is going to talk to us about Regroover. Yeah, Regroover. This is from the company Acusonis. They're from Greece. Uh, me and Lid, we actually met them at uh, AES in New York City uh, back in October. Um, so they have this. Uh, it's it's not a plugin, but it's an instrument. So you can you, you add this as an instrument into your DAW, and it's called Regroover. So what it does basically it takes a drum loop a groove, and um, it layers everything in, you know, in separate layers. So, um, well, so it separates yeah. the elements of the, of the groove? Exactly, the element of the, uh, within the, uh, the loop itself. So it cool. separates like on separate tracks, okay? But they call it, they call it the layers. And from that point on, you can play with the individual layers by themselves, you know, and regroove everything. So that's why they call it regroover. So it is quite powerful. You know, they have like that crazy algorithm going on that detects all separate uh, sounds. Um, and when you solo them, it's pretty impressive. Um, it's like if they were recorded separately, you know, so it's pretty cool. Does sound cool. I mean, is yeah. that, because um, uh, what was it called? The thing that used to slice beats up and then you oh, yeah. chop them into samples and you could, um, sorry, and you could time stretch them. Uh, what was that thing called? Rex, make a Rex file. Recycle. Recycle. Recycle, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so, it, but but it's it's more than that, right? Because if you had, it sounds it is, like yeah. if you had a bass line over un, underneath the, the beat or whatever, it would separate that out. And um, Now I'm not sure about the music. Um, I think it's a, it's aiming only at drum grooves, okay. mainly. Okay. So it works well with ele- ele- electronic gr- drum beats, but when it comes to, like I tried it with some uh, acoustic drums, um, you know, like loops from... Uh, um, loop masters, I think they have like acoustic drum loops. So if you try them with an acoustic drum loop, it's um it's a bit harder. You know the system works harder than um, you know when you you try it with a, uh, a regular electronic loop. So um, but the the fun thing about that is just the uh, the fact that you can be super creative with that kind of tool. Uh, so you take that drum loop, you can isolate. You know if you want to keep only the kick drum, for example, you can. So it's very easy to do so and re you know regroove the entire thing. And that's even um, it, presumably if the kick is playing on the same beat as the snare, for example. 
Oh, that's a good, yeah. I th you know what? I think so. I think it does separate. It must be, otherwise, ways. yeah, if you didn't yeah. sell it. Now, that's that's really cool because it sounds it like is. that's kind of musical, creative version of, they were doing this kind of thing with the uh, the Beatles. Um, the one I heard about recently was there's the, right. the really famous concert from the Hollywood Bowl um, where they, they did actually release it as an album, but it's basically unlistenable because the crowd was screaming so loud <laughs> that it's just painful. Yeah. Um, but still. And... I mean, so so with the Beatles stuff, they're 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 kind of taking multi tracks and separating out the instruments so that they okay. can remix stuff before it was recorded on multi track. But also with this Hollywood Bowl concert, they used uh, I forget the name. They used a piece of music software to kind of model the music so that they could effectively subtract it from the crowd and then blend the crowd back in at a lower level. I mean, it's amazing the stuff that you know. And, and I mean, you think about the way technology is going. We'll probably be able to do that in our on our laptops in five yeah, exactly. or ten years' time, um, maybe probably five rather than ten. So I mean, yeah, it's amazing what it is. Crazy. This makes me think of this. This was something that I was going to share as my cool thing, um, but uh, I found something even cooler. I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a video that I shared on Facebook recently that is so here in the UK we used to have uh, a show called Tomorrow's World back in that when I was growing up in the in the eighties, um, which is an extremely straight laced British program where they would tell you things about what they thought the future would be like in uh the most are they all suits and ties i mean looking back it's hilarious anyway it's got this guy <laughs> mike rod demonstrating a four track cassette uh porter studio one of the first porter studios that comes out and it's you know in this day and age where you can record a a band on a phone it's kind of amazing and hilarious to see how far we've come and it, that's that's another example of the same thing definitely yeah, so, so that was my, my discovery of the year. You know, I, I want to make a comment about that regrouver. So I think that a first inclination for us as engineers is to ask tough questions about like the snare and the, the kick being separated. Like it's sort of like, a, um, uh, what's, what's the word? Like when you're a detective and you're trying to like extract all this information. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a little bit more like there's so many people making music that just start with these pre-made loops and it gives you a tool to just throw it in there and instantly turn that one loop into a whole bunch of different things where you have the same sound. So it's a, it's just a cool creative tool, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. I'm still gonna work with it and uh, try to uh, to figure it out. You know, um, I just started to to play with it a bit, and I'm gonna do a, my my goal is to do a review on it on YouTube. So I'm gonna go in depth and into that regroover thing. Excellent, and we will share the link to Chris's site on the show notes at themasteringshow.com for anybody who wants to uh, subscribe to his channel and check that out in future. And of course, we'll put everybody else's details there, all of our guests, will be uh, information there so you can connect with them and find out what they do because they're all incredibly cool people, which is why I invited them on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, excellent. Thanks, okay, dude. so uh, Sigurdor, your next... Yeah, I did some thinking. Um, that didn't work, so I started reflecting. <laughs> and after after realizing uh, I started to cry and then I realized the best plugin I bought this year so <laughs> you know we spend money on plugins don't we we do uh, yeah equipment etc some of that we use for a while and you know some of that gets right into the you know game right so um I thought of uh, well, you. I, I'm pretty sure you all know about this, but this is this is basically like just in case if if there's somebody out there that hasn't, you know, 
and it's um, Sooth from Oxound. So that, that's kind of, you know, the plugin, the new plugin, you know, uh, a new design, a new, you know, thing. So I, I know about it, but I haven't used it. So could you kind of just give us a quick description of, of what it does and what it is you like about it? Well, I'm can I read from the page? <laughs> <laughs> well, they say it's a dynamic resonance suppressor for mid and high frequencies. So, and that's what it is. Yeah. But you can actually make it pretty much uh, a full band thing, you know, with, you know, the filters. So. Okay. So it's like a dynamic EQ. So it's, it's like when you, uh, I don't know, have a singer who's moving in and out, and out on the mic and there are certain frequencies that are ringing out and you, you, so you EQ it out when like that frequency is too loud, but then it makes it sound too thin when they're not singing in that way or at that distance that the problem is there. So it's kind of automatically smoothing all that stuff out. Is that the right kind of idea? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a dynamic uh, EQ, but it's not fixed in a frequency. It's kind of floating around, but you can narrow it to a you know, you can tune it quite a bit, you know. But um, okay, yeah. So so it's let's say somebody has two resonant frequencies in their voice, like one at five hundred and one at one k. Mm -hmm. It will take those out, but only when necessary. Yeah. So you're going to get an overall more natural sound without having two frequencies going at both of those things all the time. Yeah, with, with some, you know, with the correct settings, you could do that, yeah. This is like the go-to mixing plug-in for working on Tuvan throat singing then, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, Frank Sabo would have loved this. <clears throat> Very cool. And is there, so one of my pet hates um, is mixes that are just, I mean, from a mastering perspective, mixes that are just really harsh, um, but maybe only one instrument or like when certain things are happening in the song so have you have you tried it out on a mix is it any good for because there's another plugin i forget the name of it that um was specifically designed to kind of make harsh mixes sound less aggressive um uh, could that, you use this in that way that one's called mute <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say de-edger by uh i think it's old horse digital which is associated with tokyo dawn that's that the one, the one that i was of thinking of i've tried that yeah. and kind of and, and thought it was okay i didn't quite do what I wanted to do with the time that I tried it. I maybe need to dive back into it and see whether I can get a better result with it. I mean, can you use Soothe for that kind of thing, Sigador, or is it better on, on single items within a mix? I, I have, well, it's in my mastering chain where I can drop it in and out and, you know, see if, so, yeah. Okay, so it could be useful for that kind of stuff. That's interesting. I might have to look oh, into that. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's cool. I'm looking at the Soothe website. Uh, I see that Chris Shaw is one of the guys, and I just heard him speaking at a conference here in Nashville, and he's he's awesome. But I told you about it, so... <laughs> yeah, right, so, and you're more awesome. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is Poe. Yeah. The Teletubby. Awesome. I don't know what this one is called, but, you know. But anyway... Oh, that, isn't yeah. that the one in Star Wars? <laughs> oh, no, this sorry, one, spoilers. Yeah, this one. <laughs> I told you it was cute. Yeah, you were right. Um, Can't believe that's the villain. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just—they're so mean. It's just so dark. It's like this is another one that's not going to work on radio. Um, <laughs> Matt, uh, you joined us late, and you hadn't had a chance to read the email, but you said you'd thought of something. What did you think of? Yeah, I thought of a couple things. Uh, one of them, not a discovery this year. Actually, it's kind of an older discovery for me. Uh, SonarWorks software. Uh, these guys make a, a room correction software that 
has a great uh, GUI to set it up. Uh, you basically are taking measurements of blips and blops that come out of your speakers and it takes a measurement of your room, creates an EQ plot that uh, addresses the deficiencies in your room and then that appears as a plugin with your preset uh, of your room ready to go in your mix, place it on your mix bus, you mix to it and uh, you mix through it rather. And when you're done, uh, you pull it off the mix bus and uh, print your mix and your mix will hopefully translate much better. And in my experience, it the difference was night and day. So fantastic tool. I think it's just, it's a few hundred bucks. Not uh, not super cheap, not super expensive. And uh, I heard it just came up with the new version, version four, that just just been released. And the version four is great because it um, very easily integrates into the OS, so that you can listen to everything through it, yeah, without it being necessarily in the DAW per se. So if you, hmm. you know, have a Google. Music uh, subscription or a title, whatever Spotify, it'll go through there. Yeah, I have the version with uh, for the spe uh, for the headphones. That's the one I have. Yeah, it does a very nice job. Yeah, I've pl I've played with that version as well. I actually usually choose not to use it. What I, what I'll do is kind of if there's, especially if I'm working here um, and I'm thinking, oh, is that bass thing that I'm thinking is happening definitely happening? I will quite often just you know put the the HD six fifties on and use the Sonar Works with that correction, just to know that I'm hearing something really flat in terms of the frequency response. I don't think I would work with it permanently to make decisions on it. Mm -hmm. But it's good to hear that, that it works, because I think, John, you mentioned in one of the previous episodes that you'd experimented with something similar by a different company, and you kind of found that the most useful thing it gave you was information about your room that you were then able to fix, right? IK Multimedia Arc 2. Yeah, I found that like when I would do the testing and the resulting curve, what it would apply, the EQ curve that it would apply to the speakers, it was like plus eight in the high frequencies, like a high shelf at plus eight. So then I realized that uh, the broadband absorption on my sidewalls was way too extreme. So replaced that with uh, some diffusion and, and it was, you know, the next time I tested, it was more flat. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. I mean, there's lots of different ways of, of using this stuff. People often ask me about it. And so I always reply, do the acoustic treatment thing first um, bef Definitely. before you do this, because quite aside from anything else, you're just giving the software less to do, which is always going to be better. Um, who, who was it who'd used version four of the Sonoworks? Yes, I, I have, and, and Chris has as well. How is the How is the latency on that? Uh, you can dial in the amount of latency uh, based on the amount of uh, processing. In fact, it, uh, I think the more, um, there's like a little slider that allows you to dial in the percentage and that the, the higher percentage causes more latency. But I mean, the latency is not bad at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's I would say it's, it's minimal. That's good. Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure. I think the with the headphone one, there's a there's a minimum phase through to a phase linear thing, and the, yeah, the latency gets worse. Mm -hmm. But I guess I mean for mixing and mastering, that's less. I mean, we're kind of used to latency in that situation anyway, and you could always turn it off for tracking. Um, Matt, yeah. have you ever accidentally delivered your mix printed through the EQ plugin? 
I don't know, know what you're talking what? about. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha I have delivered mixes by accident that were printed through there without realizing it until the client said, yeah, I love it. It sounds great. And then I went back, went back to export all the, you know, the, you know, do all the housekeeping afterwards and realized, oh my God, I left it on. And they were like, it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. No, that's the good thing we have with Cubase. We have the control room so we can pop in any plugins we want and it's not going to be bounced with our mixes. It's only for monitoring, so which is good. Oh, now you're just bragging, Chris. <laughs> I know. I bet Reaper can do that, right, John? Yep, monitoring effects chain. There you go. God, you guys are crazy. Reaper can do anything. I do have one other thing, Ian. Yeah. If I, if we have time. Um, the other thing that has been really helpful for me on my podcast in particular is the DSP SA2 dialogue processor. And it basically, it's five independent bands of, of uh, active equalization. And it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's... It, it, it's very reminiscent of a lot of pre-existing uh, multi-band compressors or active EQ type things, but this particular plugin was modeled after a, uh, a box from some film mixer. And I think he came to Colin at McDSP and said, you know, can you model this box? And they did it kind of, you know, as a, as a, as a, an experiment and it turned out really great. And then long story short, uh, they won a, uh, an Emmy for it. Wow. Which is, uh, which is great, but it's, it's great for just keeping a handle on dialogue or, or voiceovers or podcast guests or whatever. It's, it's great on the voice. So is, that's, that's cool. Is that, is that like EQ compression kind of all in one kind of is like channel strip kind of thing? No, it's just five bands of processing that, don't look like anything else. There's basically um, five knobs, and uh, you get to adjust the mode and the and the band mode, and that's it. It's pretty simple. And what's it called again? It's called the SA2 Dialog Processor. From who? From McDSP. Oh yeah, that's very interesting. I'm going to be checking that out. Um, it's yeah, it, it, that kind of stuff where you just plug it in and it just works is. Those are kind of almost the most valuable things sometimes. You know, it's it's great to have tools where you can do anything. You can tweak all these parameters to your heart's content. But if you can just kind of know that it's going to work, it's the kind of the Apple approach to sound engineering, I guess. Mm. Um, I've heard good things about that from film mixers. Well, it's great on, on a lot of things that have to do with the voice. There's two kinds of plugins. There's the kinds that let you do all kinds of great work in the studio. And then there's the kinds that let you be done working in the studio. <laughs> Matt, is the SA2 the reason your voice always sounds so damn smooth? <laughs> I, I don't know. Does my voice sound so damn smooth? I think it's the same as John. It's just get it right always. at the source. Again. <laughs> I think that's a combination of just, you know, uh, the, the mic, uh, which is this mic, the uh, BP40 from Audio-Technica, as well as just the chain, you know, it's a UA Apollo and... Uh, Neve um, 1073 and LE2A combined with some, you know, SA2 on the on the on the back end. That's a nice chain. If only we all had that vocal chain. Excellent. Okay, so now we're going to go to Ian Stewart, um, who has a song and a tip. Yeah, 
I, I did have one tip, but I actually just thought of a, another sort of shorter and more concrete one maybe in the last few minutes. So it was actually um, about a year ago, Ian, that, that I did the podcast episode with you where we talked about stereo processing and, and stereo width. Um, and since then, I have written a blog post that's all about mid-side and um, some of the perils therein. And I've been on a kind of very passive crusade to try and uh, bring some more awareness of, of, of this to people. Um, I think there's a lot of misinformation about mid-side and how mid-side processing works, especially once you get into mid-side EQ and some of the weird things that can happen there. Um, so that's on my website. And um, if mid-side processing, mid-side EQ especially, is something that you use, I, I really think it's worth checking out. And um, there are just a, a few concrete examples there of, of weird things that can happen. But then the song I, I wanted to share um, was actually by an artist that my dad got me into this year um, by the name of Jacob Collier. Um, I believe he is English. Um, he has a sensibility about harmony and arrangement and, and music theory that um, I find really interesting and, and really beautiful to listen to. Um, and he did an arrangement of a Christmas carol that you don't hear that much, at least in, in the States, uh, called In the Bleak Midwinter. Um, but the arrangement is anything but bleak. It's incredibly lush and beautiful. Um, so... I'll share a link. He's got a, he did a, a YouTube video of it. Um, and it's, it's basically acapella and it's him singing all the parts and um, really neat arrangement of it though. So that's actually one of my favorite carols. I think you're right. It's, it's less well known. And that reminds me that I was going to recommend some music. So I'll do it in two stages. Cause so I'll recommend my version of that carol and a bunch of others. Um, there is a, an album called, carols from Clare, Clare, Clare College in Cambridge, so just nearby here. Um, a load of the Cambridge colleges have this amazing tradition of music. They have these amazing uh, historical architectural uh, locations that you can, I mean, King's College Chapel, which some people may have seen, uh, they, they broadcast the carols there for, on Christmas Day here in the UK, is, has a, the, the, the roof of the chapel is by Sir Christopher Wren, I believe, who designed St Paul's Cathedral, um, and uh, it's just an amazing space to experience music. It really is an experience as well, just kind of sonically and in terms of, of being there, especially if they do a candlelit service, which is fantastic. So anybody in this area who hasn't done that, um, you have to queue up for several hours to get in, but it's well worth the wait. Anyway, this, so there's this uh, beautiful, one of my favourite Christmas albums is called Carols from Clare, um, with arrangements by John Rutter, and that has a beautiful version of In the Blink Midwinter, on it as well. Um, and then I have another musical uh, recommendation, which I will save for my own tip, um, which, uh, oh no, you've given us your song and your tip, haven't you, Ian? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, there was one other tip I had thought of that's very simple and I've stated it before, but I can restate it <laughs> if Go you for want. It. Yeah, sure. I think the main thing that I've really tried to focus in on, on my own work this year um, in mastering is to come up with a game plan. Um, I think it's very easy, especially when you're starting out to listen to something and you have, maybe you've gotten all these tools at your disposal, you've bought a bunch of new plugins and you just want to throw them on and try them out. Um, and it's really easy to make things sound different. Um, 
and sometimes maybe different is better and sometimes maybe different is just different. Um, so I've really tried to be cognizant about sitting, listening, coming up with a game plan. What do I want to fix about this? What do I think needs changing? Um, and and maybe even write that down so you have a, a concrete reference of you can go back to this and this is what I was thinking the first time I listened through this. Um, and then pick your tool to try and address that. Take a stab at it. Listen. Did you achieve your goals? Yes. Great. Move on. No. Try again. Um, but I think too often we just throw the kitchen sink at things because we can and we have the tools um, without really thinking about whether it's really necessary first. The first thing that came along was the ability to do lots of tracks. So you could throw musical ideas and just keep layering more and more junk on. And then you learn that editing and deleting that stuff is where the real power is after you tried those ideas. And then came along the ability to just layer more and more plugins on and more and more processing. And I'm finding myself doing the same thing where it's that editing power of try all the ideas and then turn them all off. And all of a sudden it sounds so much better, you know? So just because you can put it on doesn't mean you can't take it off again afterwards. Exactly. Unless you print it while you track. (laughs) (laughs) And send it off for uh, pressing. Absolutely. That's what perception's for, though, isn't it, Ian? Oh, perception is for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Well, um, Matt has just uh, messaged me to say he's going to head off soon. Um, so, Matt, thank you for being on the podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you for your uh, for your little gifts that you added to this Christmas stocking. Um, everybody should go and listen to Matt's podcast. Um, how many episodes are you on now, Matt? Christmas Day, I will release my 158th episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. Matt, you're like a big brother. As long as we both release an episode a week, you'll always be older than me. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, workingclassaudio.com. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, All the links in the show notes, folks. And uh, Matt, have a great Christmas if we don't speak to you beforehand. Yeah, happy holidays to all of you and uh, on this call and happy holidays to uh, your listeners, Ian. So uh, everybody take care. Merry Christmas, Matt. Same to you, Matt. See you. So that makes me the kind of, uh, the tangerine that you pull out of the bottom of the stocking. Right at the end, does everybody always have a, or a satsuma? Yes. Yeah, you know, you've kind of had the the, the walnuts and the chocolate coins and all the rest of it. And I'm the the annoying fruit at the end that you always get. What am I going to talk about? Okay, so the first thing is something that I only found out about today. Uh, It's a new idea by Elko Grimm, who was my guest on the podcast uh, a few shows ago, but it's very different to... uh, Then he was talking about loudness normalization. This is nothing to do with loudness, and I'm not going to talk about loudness. (laughs) Um, And it's a way of uh, contributing money directly to independent artists whose work you appreciate, you support. Um, You know, all of us now are using streaming services more and more, and every time we stream a bit of music, uh, a tiny, tiny amount of money goes into the pot that Spotify and Apple Music and all of these different companies collect, and then that gets apportioned up amongst the record labels. And there is um, a large kind of... um, umbrella organization called Merlin, I believe, that uh, represents independent record companies as part of those negotiations. But for me, the disappointing thing is that even if I listen to my favorite independent artist uh, all day, every day for a week, 
more money will go into the pot, but it doesn't necessarily mean that more of that money will actually find its way to that independent artist. Um, because as I understand it, the the way that the money is split up goes by record companies rather than on an artist level. And I would love to know that the artists that I'm listening to are actually getting my support. Like when I buy an album, I know that that money will go, or some of that money will go to the artists. So this is an idea that kind of is a step in that direction. Elko is proposing this uh this, this idea called the karma button. Um, and basically it's a button that would appear at the moment he's talking to Spotify about it. Um, he tweeted, uh, is it Daniel Eck? Is that the guy who runs Spotify? Um, I think, and uh, suggested this idea to him. He said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Put it in our forums as a suggestion and see how many votes you get. So Elko has done that. I did this, incidentally, um, with my request to reduce the loudness uh, level. That Oh, damn, I said I wasn't going to talk about loudness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did this with, my, uh, with a suggestion to reduce the loudness level that Spotify played back at. I have no idea whether they... I know they noticed that because they promoted it from kind of an idea to a good suggestion, um, and it did indeed happen. Whether that post in the forums had any kind of influence on that, I don't know, but... Spotify, you know, they have this mechanism for getting suggestions from their users and they seem to act on them. So Elko has put the suggestion there. Basically, it's a it's a button you click um, and a kind of micro donation is made to the artist that you want to support. Um, there's some political uh, stuff involved with that and the record labels, which Elko is aware of. Um, and that's all handled as part of this idea, he's also found an organization in Holland who are prepared, prepared to actually handle this. It's the, the Dutch rights organization who uh, handle ISRC codes and uh, all of the licensing stuff there. They have agreed to provide a mechanism that could make this work. So it seems like it's a solution they're kind of waiting to happen and all we need is enough votes to get Spotify to take it seriously. So I will share on the show notes page for this show, the link. I would love it if anybody here who likes this idea, click through to that link. There's quite a long post there from Elko that explains what the idea is, how it works, and you can vote to support it. Seems to me like a great idea um, that anybody would would want to support. Don't know what everybody else on the call thinks about that. No, I think it's great. I, I love the idea of trying to empower artists to actually make a living through sharing their music, because I think uh, I was just speaking to some people today and getting a stat on, um, and I don't remember whether I mentioned this earlier, but a stat on what a Spotify amount is that goes to an artist. And I think it's like 0. 0.006 cents or something like that. And that's why I was also sharing, you know, uh, talking about this music coin, which is another concept of of letting an artist receive direct income. Right now, I think you get two to three cents per listen straight to the artists and there's no intermediary, but I think that's, that's great. And, and, you know, this, an idea like music coin has a long ways to go before there's mass adoption. It's still tiny and startup, but Spotify, anything that can help artists, um, start really receiving some, you know, financial love through the platforms that exist right now is a great way to start. Yep. Absolutely. That, that was my thinking too. Cool. Um, so now I will share the music the other music recommendation I have, this is slightly more esoteric. Um, I'm a huge fan of Benjamin Britten. Um, I grew up in Suffolk where Britten lived and wrote most of his music. Um, the orchestra that I played in um, when I was a teenager, we would do our concerts in the concert hall that he set up, Snake Maltings, 
um, in Aldborough uh, on the East Coast. It's a beautiful part of the world. It's amazing concert hall. The acoustics there are extraordinary. You can literally hear a pin drop on the back row um, w- with no amplification. And it's being there is like being enveloped in the music. It's just, it's incredible. Um, and Britain wrote uh, a thing called Ceremony of Carols for harp and boys choir. Um, it's, I mean, it's modern music, but I think it's modern music that anybody could enjoy. Uh, I would love to see a performance of this in King's College Chapel because it begins with the choir uh, in a procession. So they start outside the building and they come in singing this kind of plain song melody. Um, and then it's, it's quite short. It's maybe 20, 25 minutes long. Um, I have a recording of it that was made by, I think it was Westminster Cathedral Choir. Um, I don't know whether that's available on the streaming services, but I mean, there are multiple versions of this out there. I would highly recommend anybody who wants something a little bit different from their Christmas music to maybe experiment with that and and see what you think of it. Um, Yeah, I, I had, last time I counted, I had 56 different recordings of music by Britain. Thank you so much to all of you guys for being a guest on this podcast. Um, I had another idea where we could share what we were excited about in the year to come, but we're, we've got a very healthy running time at this point, so um, I think we'd better wrap it up. Um, maybe all of us can just say Merry Christmas to everybody, and then we'll sign off. No, that's not going to work, because nobody's going to know what order to go and anything else. <laughs> we could do it all together. We could do it all together. Let's all do it, and then John can have fun uh, <laughs> making some kind of sense. Hey, maybe you could pan it all out in stereo um, or something. Okay, so uh, we'll do a visual count here on the YouTube, and we'll all say, what are we going to say? Merry Christmas. I'm going to say it in my language, okay? Yeah, absolutely, of course. Um, In fact, we say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, So after three... Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, Sigurdor wins. That's definitely the coolest sounding. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much. John, thank you so much for editing this. This will be a challenge. I'm sure that you will relish just before Christmas. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. Oh, one other thing. If you've made it this far and you enjoy the podcast, um, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We've set up a really easy way for you to do that. You just need to go to themasteringshow.com forward slash review and it will take you directly through so that you can leave us a a comment. You know, just, it's great. Um, John's voice sounds way better than Ian's. You know, whatever you like. Um, If it's positive, uh, I hope. Uh, We would really appreciate that because it helps more people find the podcast, um, which is what we want. We want to help as many people as we can. So thanks again, everybody, and thanks for listening.